Welcome everyone to the Sensible Drug Policy Show created by Students for Sensible Drug Policy International. Here, we share insights from young advocates at the forefront of local, national, and international decision-making around drugs. Our network is an active force for reform in more than 30 countries around the world, and it's time you hear them talk. You will hear from policy experts, both current students and alumni, who will share their experience, tips, and insider knowledge about the most recent developments in the field. So welcome to the new episode about the Support Don't Punish um, Day of Action on the, uh, that, that we just had um, on the 26th of June. Um, so uh, it is my great pleasure to uh, welcome uh, my colleague Mara and uh, Evelyn and Molly today. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I'll, uh, um, I'll let you uh, introduce yourselves and uh, um, say uh, how you got involved with uh, SSDP and uh, we'll, uh, we'll give it a go. Okay. All right. Um, so my name is Evelyn Abba Edufo, SSDP Ghana Secretary. Yeah, I got involved with SSDP through um, our national uh, organizer, or let's say the country director. He introduced me actually to SSDP. I am um, a professional teacher and also a student. So um, I have actually loved the advocacy work. And since the time, about 2017, thereabouts, that I was introduced, I have been involved with activities of SSDP until I also ranked to the uh, position of uh, the national secretary. Yeah, so that's how how far I have come with SSDP. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so my name is Molly Uno Okodo. Um, I'm the vice president SSDP University of Calabar chapter in Nigeria. I got involved in SSDP in the year um, 2020 uh, through one of my colleagues. He happened to be the pioneer president of the chapter in Nigeria. And since 2020, I've been involved in advocacy actions through um, communications, getting to foster partnerships with relevant stakeholders to um, push out our advocacy work. And lastly, I became the I was elected as the vice president of the chapter. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> cool. And Mara, do you want to say a couple words about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Mara Fuladini, and um, I'm the African Development Consultant at the moment. Um, before then, I was the West Africa Regional Director. And, and at the point, I was also the African Global Fellow, SSDP in Africa. And at the point, I was National Coordinator of SSDP in Nigeria. My involvement with SSDP um, started in the year 2014, when I um, was, I, made, I came across SSDP on the net, and I was so curious about what they did, and I was interested in the human rights perspective of the organization which led me, um, I had to dig further. And um, I was able to, st I started 
looking at drug policies organizations in Africa, then I came across WADPN. And um, from WADPN, I was introduced to Mutrize Nigeria. Then from Mutrize Nigeria, I met a whole lot of network organizations um, in um, Nigeria. And um, over the years, I've been able to give my quota in harm reduction among young people, students and young professionals in, in across the African continent. Yeah, it's been a long ride and um, it's been a wonderful, interesting journey so far. Yeah. Thanks, so, Mara. Yeah. Amazing, impressive, impressive stuff. Um, and I'm so happy that you're co-hosting the today's episode with me. With me. Uh, so we're going to spend a, a couple of uh, minutes talking about um, how how the Support Don't Punish uh, Day of Action um, went. Um, and uh, and about the the message of uh, the support on punish. Um, so uh, if uh, if anyone was to kind of find out more about support on punish, uh, when usually when you Google support on punish, it uh, you find the website and you find out that it's a global day of action um, uh, that is on the same day as the. Uh, kind of the international um, day of uh, uh, fight against drugs and drug abuse. Uh, but it's also a, a day that uh, kind of carries the message of, um, yeah, of support, of harm reduction, of, um, of uh, decriminalization of drugs, um, of ending the drug war. Um, so, um, so I would love to know uh, maybe Molly, if you want to go first, um, how um, how 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 was the local day of action? Uh, um, how did it go, and uh, what does the message uh, mean for you? Okay, so in my uh, local chat, I actually thought of having uh, a direct conversation with community of drug users, community of people who use drugs. In the past years, we've been involving, we've been involving um, stakeholders, trying to um, educate them on, on the need for harm reduction, to adopt harm reduction services, to replace punishments with support. So in our recent, uh, in our recent event on Saturday, we engaged with these people who, who use drugs. And we had um, a psychiatrist from the hospital, a doctor, come to lecture them on the need to adopt harm reduction services. And it's, it's glaring that um, some stakeholders are actually interested in adopting this new alternative because for the past 52 years, it's been centered on criminalization, criminalization, and yet there's been no improvement all efforts put uh, to be futile and people still use drugs and the harm increases day in, day out. So for me, the support of punishments is an awesome approach which is centered on human rights. And the message that was passed across is, is that these people who use drugs they should be considered as having a health issue, as having a health issue, not a, a uh, not a criminal, it's not a criminal act. So it can be during our session, the um, doctor also made it clear that people who use drugs can be likened to, uh, to um, 
people with sickle cell disorders, yeah? So they have to, like, be dependent on some drugs to help them survive. And we can see that we can't actually criminalize those groups of people because that's their health issue. They have to depend on these drugs to survive. So it's the same thing for people who use drugs because withdrawal symptoms may not um, really be that easy for some of them. So it's, it's possible if they want to, but then we can't criminalize um, people who use, who use drugs. So the message is the government or relevant um, policymakers should look into, um, into reviewing the drug policy because it's, it's not helpful over here in Nigeria, we have um, we have the drug law enforcement agency, and this group of people are just there to torture the people who use drugs, do sort of rehabilitation for them, and all that. Just take them as some sort of criminals. So that should be that that needs to be overridden and be replaced with rehabilitation services, which the hospital is willing and ready to offer, and also. Um, try to push out for more drop-in centers around the community where people can easily access these harm reduction services, counseling and, and product. So the message of replacing punishment with support needs to, needs to go out there, needs to be heard by a lot of people, the policymakers, so that we review these drug policies and we can help keep people alive to make healthier choices for themselves. Yeah. Uh, absolutely right. So what you're saying is that um, um, that the uh, drug use or or addiction, for example, because like not all drug use can leads to addiction, but if since there is uh, since addiction does exist, um, uh, of course, uh, addiction is a health issue and it's not a criminal issue. So. It should be treated by the Ministry of Health and by the services uh, of the of public health, and not the services of of uh, criminal justice, right? Criminal. Uh, yeah, and we want to replace the word addiction with a drug dependence. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, cool, awesome. That's great. Um, so, and you mentioned a little bit about um, kind of uh, the the institutions and the and the situation that uh, people who use drugs are, are facing in Nigeria, but uh, um, I want to ask you about that after, uh, but just to switch to um, to hear about um, how was um, Evelyn, if you want to tell us uh, uh, how the Support to Punish Day of Action went, went by uh, uh, in Ghana. Okay, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, we had hours on the uh, on Sunday, as uh, the day uh, actually was on Sunday. So um, we also went to the ghettos in Accra, since uh, that is where mostly we have been doing our advocacy work. And so we went there to meet um, individuals who use drugs to discuss few issues with them. We've been there several occasions, and then every now and then when we go, we are able to uh, educate them on issues bordering law, um, addiction, um, um, harm reduction processes, and how to even cater for themselves. Because you realize that these individuals, even though they are drug users, 
they also have their plight. And it looks more or less like um, the law is not in their favor for that reason. Uh, if you are not careful or you case not taken and then you are arrested, you just go into prison and all that. And um, some few years back, Ghana was able to uh, adjust our drug laws. And most of these, they are not aware of. So we took opportunity to educate them on it. We were privileged to have um, the executive director from West Africa Drug Policy Network in the person of Mr. Prince Bo Lossini, who um, also gave the SSD Pest Education on drug laws and the new uh, additions that Ghana brought in the fact that now, if you are uh, you are caught with the possession of drugs, you are going to pay a fine of 2,500 up to 6,000 cities. And also the fact that uh, the law now advocates that there should be a rehabilitation center for individuals with drug issues. And also uh, the cultivation of um, um, cannabis, which um, now we are looking at it with the TCL uh, components, which will be low. So all these things were issues that uh, um, the, uh, Mr. Prince gave us education on. With the part of the individuals who uses drug that we met, we actually took time to listen to them on issues that bothers their mind. Issues like how they are criminalized uh, simply because maybe they, you, you might not actually be even using the drug. You just find yourself at a center where drug is being used. And then if a policeman or any security uh, um, officer pounces on you, you are taken and then you are incarcerated or you are imprisoned. And so these were some of the issues that we had to discuss with them. And you also realized that there were issues um, on the fact that um, people have, um, um, like the, the, the individuals with drugs, they are shunned away in the community. They are not cared of about whatever happens to them. It's nobody's business. And so they were very, very happy. And they are always happy to see that at least uh, students like us, individuals who may not necessarily use drugs, but we still have the, them at heart and then we come all the way to come and listen to them and then try to find solutions to their problem and also to educate them as to where they can go for services such as, as um, harm reduction services, uh, rehabilitation services when the need arises. So it was, it was, it was a nice day, it was fun and we really enjoyed the day, yeah. Thank you. Incredible, thank you so much. And so you spoke a little bit about um, the challenges that uh, people who use drugs uh, face. Uh, what would you say are, are like, do you have anything to add uh, about what are the main challenges that, that people who use drugs uh, face in your community? Yeah, so, um, when you talk about yeah. Um, challenges that people who use drugs are facing the community. Most of it is the fact that they are uh, discriminated upon because yeah. um, they are looked or acts as people who are harmful. So nobody is ready to even go close to them. And whatever happens to them is none of anybody's business. 
um, they can access uh, social facilities such as a hospital because um, when, when you go there and then somebody feels that, are you coming to harm me? And, and they also feel afraid because they feel that if I should go there and somebody should see that I am this, I'm a drug user, they can report me to the police and then the next thing I'll be arrested. So even when they have issues that uh, they need healthcare, mm. they are unable to actually uh, assess these uh, facilities because of the fear of the fact that they will be uh, in prison, incarcerated and in, or whatever it is, yes. So these are the challenges. And sometimes some of them, the challenge is with the fact that they have even skill, but society frown upon them and they are not ready to uh, employ them. They have employable skills that they can be employed to work, but they are not, nobody is ready because of the fact that, that um, um, the fact that you are a drug user. And so that one is also a very a major challenge to them. They have the skills, they have the ability, they speak good English, but nobody is ready because people are afraid that uh, they look at them, the, that tag of criminal is on them, criminality. So nobody is ready to even help when it comes to uh, issues of that nature. Yeah. yeah. In the, um, I know that uh, today's, um, th this year's uh, Support on Panache Day of Action was, uh, had a specific focus uh, on specifically on women um, and minorities. So, um, so what, uh, did you, did you get a chance to, to speak to some women and what do they say about, um, um, like about the, the challenges that they're, that they're facing or, or their situation? Um, and what's your, what's your take on that? Um, so um, we, we had few uh, ladies that we actually talked to. And the issue is that for the men, I, it looks like they are able to open up a little bit. But when it comes to the women, it's a little bit difficult. But the challenge that they also have is the fact that um, this same social, they are looked at as a social misfit and they are frowned upon. And sometimes you are pregnant, you need uh, antenatal care, you need to go to hospital for a few other things. You are not able to do so simply because um, your, if your parents alone scare people. And so most often than not, they will just have to you know, be in the akana, do their own thing, find means to care for themselves until they give birth. When they give birth, their kids are not also able to assess any medical care or even schooling and stuff like that. So it is, it's, it's become of, more of a cycle. The, the, the way the parents live or the way a mother give birth, the family shine upon you because you use drug and all that. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult when it even comes to the side of the women. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, um, so Molly, would you like to tell us a little bit about um, the, what are the challenges that people who use drugs are facing in, in their community? Okay, let me add to what you said. Because uh, although we share a 
challenges are quite similar. Continue. Um, the, the discriminatory acts by uh, fellow humans around uh, the community. They are being stigmatized and seen as being um, as seen as being harmful, like she rightly stated. And some of these people who use drugs, they are unable to access um, proper employment or able to access like good jobs because um, you go to uh, offer your service to someone and they are scared already by just seeing you, knowing that um, you use drug or if per adventure you're able, they are able to get a job for a few days and the employer discovers that he or she uses drugs. Then yeah, they're being they're being laid off. So around the community, you find out that these people have um, really nothing useful doing for themselves because there's no support anywhere. Um, they're not getting support from the government, no support from fellow humans. They're being stigmatized on the daily. So even to uh, their income, they're not. There's no. Their financial stability is is not there. Nothing is coming in, and they find it uh, quite difficult to fend for themselves. And yes, if they have families, that's that's also uh, a problem because even those um, some of these people who use drugs are are really not harmful as the society perceives them to be. But but then they are discriminated when it comes to job placement and or they're even accessing healthcare services. Then I would like to add to um, what she said regarding uh, um, young women who use stroke also. I would like to state that as um, a sort of like a double challenge for women. Yes, there are women, first of all, already they face some sort of marginalizations and some other societal issues. And then they are now being tagged as drug users. So that's a important challenge for these uh, young women to bear in, in their homes, in their families. They are seen as being irresponsible and unable to cater for the home. If the woman is married, um, yeah, um, stories of divorce, divorce and all that. And then if um, for a young girl, maybe early or late 20s, and you want to access... Um, healthcare services, you discover that uh, the healthcare providers are oftentimes judgmental. I was involved in carrying out such a, a research like that, and we discovered that these healthcare providers are judgmental when it comes to certain groups of people, like people who use, who use drugs. So instead of going back to access that care, some of them just avoid it and decide not, not to go there because of the discriminatory uh, attitudes of the healthcare providers and a whole lot of other societal challenges. Yeah, yeah. I think thank you so much. I I definitely agree that uh, I mean it's it's uh, you've illustrated it well when you said that it's a double challenge uh, for women, the fact that um like you know we're like that the the being a woman and also being a, a drug user. Um, Mauro, uh, do, you, do you have anything to add? Uh, uh, you're muted. Sure, I do. I do. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I would like to um, chip in something, and that is um, 
that um, nobody should be stigmatized based on anything they put into their body. You know, so people should have the freedom and free will to do anything as long as they hurt no, they are hurting nobody. So the society should um, have a broader spectrum of how they view drug users, and um, they should not be castigated, discriminated, or stereotyped because they are drug users. So they are they are people just like anybody. So using drugs does not mean you should be an outcast. So um, also, I would like to chip in that. Molly happens to be the chairperson for and the team lead for our reduction working group Nigeria, and um, Evelyn is one of the trainers for SSDP Africa orientation program. So I think they are two of our bright minds when it comes to discussing um, topics like this. So and um, Evelyn, I saw um, um, during the campaign the support don't punish for SSDP Ghana, the rehabilitation not prison. A placard that was um, used on Saturday. So, can you um, shed more light on that for us? Yeah, yeah okay. So, um, the rehabilitation and not in, not in prison. Um, we were talking about the fact that we realized that people have issues, but these drug peddlers or drug users, for one reason or the other, um, there are a whole lot of things that comes to play when it comes to somebody who uses drugs. Drug usage is for different, different, different reasons. And for that reason, you cannot just pick somebody who for one reason or the other, you chance on having a possession of drug or using drug and then you just throw the person into prison. What we were saying is that you need to find out certain things about the, that individual. Whether the individual is has gotten to a point that the person needs help, just a more for for a better uh, explanation, they are individuals who use drugs, and they are just they are in their offices, they are in their homes, they are they 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 are not posing any harm. You see, so you cannot just say that you just take a person and then throw the person into prison. When we find out that they are individuals who, for one reason or the other, they are using drugs and have issues, what we are saying is that they should be put in a rehabilitation center where they will be cared for, they will be educated, they will be um, given the necessary treatment and information in order for them to be able to use, even if they have to use the drug. Because, believe you me, there are individuals who use drugs, they cannot just stop. You can't tell them stop using it, but you can help them to know the better way of using it for their own benefit to reduce harm that could be caused to them. So what we are saying is that individuals who for one reason or the other uses that should not just be thrown into jail. They also go to jail and they are even, uh, the people in jail, they are still using the drug. And you have not actually done any good to that person if you throw that person into jail. So what you're saying is that there should be more rehabilitation centers where individuals with the issues of drug usage can even walk in and then give they themselves up that, look, I am a drug user, but I think I have a challenge for this reason or that reason. I need help. And then they can be helped. Yeah, that, that, that is uh, <laughs> what uh, we, we... Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, Evelyn. 
And Molly, um, looking at the campaign we have, and you know it's a yearly e- event. So what do you think um, we need to do differently as SSDPs, you know? Okay. So over the years, I think we should, uh, we need to take it on a more, uh, should I say, on a more higher level, on a more higher ground. So yes, we've been involving uh, relevant stakeholders and I'm happy about um, this sort of impact made in the past years because um, <clears throat> support don't punish is coming to light. More people are getting to know and are having, um, having a rethink about people who, who use jobs and are acting in the right way that they should. But, but then I think we, we need to engage uh, people at the higher level, like involve the, the, the policy makers in these discussions. Although it's going to be, it's not going to be an easy ride considering uh, some of these people, they are, I don't know how to put it, like they are so into the knowledge they have already about people who use drugs, the, the wrong notion, the whole neg- negativity about, about that. So what we can do differently now is to see how, how can we engage these people at the higher level in these discussions, get them to know it's not going to be a one-off something. Yeah, we have to keep saying it to them, bringing out evidences that this, this thing is working. And because um, from what Evelyn has said, the prison so far has, nothing has changed because if you, you realize that um, even in prisons, these people still have access to drugs. So what, what are we doing? The prison is not helping. So we need to bring those kind of uh, discussions to policymakers, to um, to the government to see how we can review these policies. If the problem is finding time to do it, we can offer to do that for ourselves. So I think we've, we've, we've done our part, we've done our best. Yes, we've, we've made impact over the years and um, I was really impressed uh, with uh, the hospital when they offered, uh, when they said they offer uh, services, rehabilitation services, and harm reduction services for people who use drugs. I was really happy about that because in previous times, that was not available. So we can see that there, we are actually making an impact, but then we need to do it on a more higher scale. And then also, if there's a way we can, um, we can look back throughout the years, like SSDP in Nigeria, what have we done? What have we involved in? Who have we engaged? Try to um, assess and evaluate our progress so far and um, know, know what to do going forward. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. So um, what is the uh, kind of, uh, you know, last maybe message of action that uh, like a one sentence that, that you want to leave uh, our listeners with um, uh, before we wrap up? Okay, so um, I would like to uh, leave with the word of uh, our pioneer president when we had a national conference. One word he said, um, no human is more human than the other. And 
no harm reduction is more harm reductive than the other. So the place punishment is support because we all need each other to survive. We can't um, keep we can't keep throwing people into prisons and being see everybody as uh, bad people. If we put the one million people in prisons, of what use it is if we can't offer support. So we are here to help each other out. So let's give our support as much as we can. Okay. Evelyn, do you want to add anything? Okay. Yes, what I want to say is that uh, we should all uh, get involved with this uh, supporting individuals who use this drug. It can be anybody. It can be your family member. It can be a friend. It can be a colleague. Um, throwing people in jail and then not actually caring for people will not help all of us. And so I think that we should continue to offer our support in any way we can. Um, we have to also engage the policymakers on issues bordering drug usage so that um, good policies will be uh, formulated to ensure that individuals who use drugs are helped. Some of these individuals, they actually need help. And when help is offered to them, I'm sure uh, you all have a better uh, place to live um, um, uh, to be part of this uh, program. And I know that uh, with all the efforts that you are making, surely the sky will be our limit and then we surely get there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cool. And uh, remember, uh, policymakers are people too. Uh, and they need education <laughs> and uh, they can be convinced and uh, they can change their mind. Um, so, um, so we're, we're on a long road, uh, but uh, we're, we're doing it. Oh, Thank yes, you. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. And I think, um, sorry, I think uh, one of the issues that we can also take it up very well is education. And so we need to continuously offer education to individuals. Uh, it starts with us. It starts with the immediate surroundings, our home, the people around us. Because these individuals who use that, they live just among us. And sometimes, just because we don't understand them, we are unable to help them. So those of us who have education, who have had opportunity to listen to Advocacy uh, advocates who um, um, talk about some of these issues. We have to make sure that we educate and educate and educate until the time and the issues will now stick into our heads. And then I think we'll be able to do So, one of the key factors is education, actually. Yeah. Exactly. Because what we're kind of working with or working up against is the previous 60 years of uh, education of or indoctrination that went into a completely different uh, direction than where we want it, um, right? So, so this is what we're um, up against. And- um, So can I add to what- Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay, and uh, also like to say that as um, SST first, there's a way we can uh, give out psychosocial supports out there, maybe try to, uh, 
have one or two drop-in centers where people who use drugs can receive counseling, um, psychosocial support, because it's not just about using the drugs. Yeah, some of them, um, mental, I see mental health and drug use as, as two sides of the same coin. One can lead to the other and the other can also lead to the other. So if we can have such drop-in centers where um, yeah, we are young people, and most of these people are also young people. So it's young people helping young people, giving support for each other, while we are also trying to engage the higher ops by doing our part by providing this support for them. Awesome, and it's really yeah, that is very you. true. Yes. So let me come here. You see, one of the things that I've been doing, I think in my introduction, I said I am a, a professional teacher. So at any point in time, especially when the, um, the students are in their final year and they're about graduating, we do a workshop for them on the issues bordering on drug usage. Because we realize that students leave uh, and go to the boarding house. And sometimes that is where they are introduced to a whole lot of new life, including the usage of drugs. So it's one of the things that um, at SSDP Ghana and at myself, we've been doing. We go to the secondary school, we go to the, the elementary school, and then give them education on such issues. So sometimes they see people use drugs and they think it is fun. They actually don't know what goes into it. So they think, okay, it's fun. Okay, I can also do it. Curiosity. And then at the end of the day, they find themselves at a place that they are not supposed to. So I think, uh, as Molly it is very, very important that as SSDP, we should also, in our own small way, find a means of helping individuals by educating, by counseling, by offering uh, even help to uh, where they need to go in order to have services such as a harm reduction services given them. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and it's really advocates like, like you, uh, Evelyn and Molly, um, that uh, that are making the difference in the in fighting the good fight. Um, all right, awesome. So thank you so much uh, for today, and uh, um, I hope we uh, we host you again uh, soon. Awesome. Hi everyone. So uh, right now we have Juan with us from IDPC. Um, so Maura and I are talking um, uh, today uh, with Juan about. Um, uh, support don't punish and uh, how it went uh the the origins of support don't punish and what are some of the uh, cool uh, success stories of organizing around this day of action um so without further ado i would love to hear an intro from uh, juan fernandez ochoa uh who is the campaign and communications officer at uh, idpc or the international drug policy consortium and uh, you, Juan, also uh, run um, the Support Don't Punish uh, campaign, which is a global campaign in so many countries around the world every year on the 26th of um, June. So, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I think there's something really sort of uh, encouraging and, and very exemplifying of the campaign in that we're here sort of under the auspices of SSDP International because SSDP has been sort of from the very beginnings of the campaign um, sort of um, carrying it forward and 
the campaign really lives through uh, local partners. So it's it's really nice to be here talking to people who have not only experienced the campaign, but also make the campaign what it has become today. Um, so yeah, I think it would be perhaps interesting to have a have a look at the roots of the campaign because that tells us a lot of the uh, the traveled and perhaps also about the direction um, for the future of the campaign. So if I have to think of where the campaign was born, it was originally a project under a grant that reunited different um, different groups, different organizations, different networks. Some were advocacy organizations like uh, the organization that I work for, the International Drug Policy Consortium, but others were community-led networks, both um, international and national. And the very reason that the campaign came to be was a, a response to the violence and neglect that is experienced by people who inject drugs um, uh, around the world at the time the disproportion in terms of the likelihood of someone who injected drugs to live with HIV was, I think, at the time, uh, 25, 25 times more likely to be living with HIV. So it was already um, really unfathomably terrible, um, the situation. And today, if I'm not wrong, the number is at 34 times. So um, in many ways, there are some things that not only um, remain being a problem, but are have worsened. And, and I think that speaks to the importance of sustaining this fight and, and the long-term nature of the struggle. And so at the time we got together to think uh, what, what can be done around this. And, um, and two uh, obstacles, two main obstacles were identified in relation to this um, you know, crass injustice. And one was that people who use drugs and people who inject drugs, of course, were criminalized. So criminalization, um, very quickly, it became apparent that criminalization was an obstacle to, to tackle. And the other obstacles that we identified, of course, is the limited access to harm reduction services, which um, we can talk a little bit about how that has evolved ever since. But I think it's important to allude to that time, because even though the campaign has evolved dramatically ever since, um, at the core, I think it's pretty interesting that the two sort of main asks of the campaign remain um, stable, like we want a world where people who use drugs um, aren't punished or criminalized and where people who use drugs can, if they so desire, um, on a voluntary basis, access a broad range of harm reduction interventions, um, including, of course, opiate, opiate substitution therapy or opioid agonist therapy and needle insertion programs, but not only because of harm reduction, um, the range of interventions that we can understand under harm reduction is, is so broad, you know, now, and that's another thing that um, the campaign has made so interesting that thanks to the campaign, um, we discover how people in different places are reinventing and reimagining harm reduction around the world. So that's that's also really um, encouraging and really positive. Amazing. And what's the timeline that we're talking about? So when was the first time Support Don't Punish was organized? Yeah, very, very good question. So we started conceiving the campaign that group started conceiving the campaign in 2011. And the mm -hmm. first Global Day of Action was in 2013. Um, and I think it's it's worth saying uh, earlier, I uh, earlier you alluded to, to my position as like one of global coordinator. And although I think in, in practice, that's what I do, but I always sort of 
sort of run away from that characterization because I, I see myself as a facilitator. Like there's so many, like the campaign exists and moves forward because of the collective of literally like hundreds, um, if not thousands of people. Um, and while IDBC was there from the beginning and for IDBC, the campaign is sort of essential to who we are. And that's why we have sort of continued with the campaign from its emergence. Um, I always sort of um, want to show gratitude to the many different hubs that the campaign, we, we understand our role as that of a central hub for the campaign because we also have the institutional memory of the campaign from the very beginning, but there's many other sort of um, hubs. So the Women Humber Reduction International, the Humber Reduction International Network, the Middle East and North Africa Humber Reduction Association, the Drug Policy uh, Network in Southeast Europe. So there are many organizations that also contribute to this effort. And so the first, just to go back to your question, the first Global Day of Action was in 2013. And it was on the 26th of June already uh, then. That, that was the date that was selected already um, way back when, because we thought it was important to offer a counterpoint to the hegemonic uh, narrative that still today is prevalent in our societies that, you know, that you need to, you need to make or entertain a war against uh, drugs. And if we think of the 26th of June, which is the um, UN acknowledged or UN sanctioned International Day against illicit drug abuse and drug trafficking. And I always put those in inverted commas because I, I reject that terminology greatly. I, I, I don't agree with the idea of abuse, like who defines what is abusive. Um, and, and definitely to suggest that drug users uh, abusive is, is such a weird um, concept. Uh, it belongs in, in the past century. Um, but historically, that's how governments have understood um, drug use as something that is sort of like inherently evil. Um, and that needs to be combated through the means of, of through means of violence and means of neglect. And, um, and so we wanted to offer a completely different narrative, one that isn't about uh, waging war, but actually uh, creating peaceful societies, societies where care and compassion are prioritized over harm, violence, and neglect. And where, yeah, people who um, are in difficult relationships with their drug use can, if they wish so, um, access a broad range of, of uh, health and harm reduction services. Um, and so we thought it was important then to on the 26th of June, where most governments are saying we are, or most governments are proclaiming uh, success in their war on drugs in terms of how many people they arrest. Uh, you know, we have seen incredibly gruesome interpretations of this um, 26th of June, the, 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 the official day. Uh, from, for example, until very recently, China uh, would, or the Chinese government um, would announce executions on the 26th of June. Um, and at least in one case, uh, three years ago, the execution was carried out um, directly um, after it being announced. So the whole thing took almost, um, what's the word? Yeah, really macabre uh, uh, interpretations. Um, yeah. And, um, and, you know, even when it doesn't get to that extent, you have governments talking about like how many hectares they have eradicated, how many, um, 
how many uh, networks have been dismantled and 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 all these numbers that if if we if we look at what's behind it's um lives being destroyed and 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 people being burdened by death and harm that occurs through contact through the legal system so we wanted to take all that and create a mirror image um that reflects what we want for our society. So the Global Day of Action is on the 26th of June um, to offer a counterpoint to this narrative of, of, of war um, and of alienation and of exclusion um, to focus on compassion, care and community building. Incredible. And so I'm really interested in kind of the perspective you provided um, since kind of the beginning and the origin and the, the things that have uh, changed over time uh, until today. Uh, but I want to ask you about something you said that, um, uh, that uh, yeah, many in, in many countries, in many communities, uh, people who use drugs and especially people who inject drugs face um, limited access to harm reduction services. So what are the ways in which this has um, evolved uh, over the last uh, couple of years um, and uh, are um, policies of, of different countries that kind of usually are used or serve as an example, like uh, that of Portugal for uh, decriminalization or um, Switzerland, um, Canada, uh, do, have they served um, as a kind of, a, yeah, have they served as a, as a as an example that others uh, other countries other communities have followed i think there's definitely more uh, of an awareness of you know this is not what we're suggesting or what we're proposing is not i guess it's a little bit different when you have like you know community-led networks who have always had this vision of what we could be doing and what we should be doing but it is very easy um for government officials and even sort of like very sort of well-respected academics to dismiss the experiences and knowledge of, of our communities as sort of utopian or idealistic. Um, and if there's something that I would highlight over the past decade is actually um, community knowledge about what uh, are the needs and how to respond to the needs of, of people who use drugs um, and other communities affected by the war on drugs has been um legitimized by um you know international uh, authorities like for example at the un level um you have uh, an increasing uh, recognition that harm reduction and decriminalization should be an essential component of mm. a public health orientated uh, approach to drugs so for example in 2018 you have the un family as a whole the un system um, saying, well, actually, harm reduction is um, essential. And this is something that WHO had been saying, the World Health Organization had been saying for a long time. But now you have the whole UN family uh, with this UN common position on drugs that not only validates um, knowledge about the importance of harm reduction, but also about the importance of decriminalization as, um, as a way to remove barriers in access to health and, and, and remove access in general to um, to our communities thriving. Um, so I think that is something to highlight, like a, an increased recognition that 
um, these solutions work and that they are not only desirable, but essential to a health oriented approach to drugs. So I think that that legitimizing of um, community knowledge that has been there for a long time is very encouraging um, from international authorities. So beyond the question of legitimacy, I think there's in practical terms, uh, an increased take up, take up of harm reduction and decrim. When we started the campaign, we had only 25 countries that had implemented decriminalization, including Portugal that you mentioned. Now we're more like at 35 with more countries exploring um, alternatives in that direction. And when it comes to countries that implemented um, opioid agonist therapy and needle and syringe programs, which are like two of the core interventions, harm reduction interventions, um, we went from 77 countries to 86. So we, our movement, I guess, I mean, for it, it is certain that our movement not only um, has been legitimized by international um authorities and, and, and the normative basis for decriminalization and harm reduction has strengthened and solidified. I mentioned the common position on drug policy, but there's also the political declaration and action plan on HIV AIDS that also confirms the importance of harm reduction and decrim. Um, but also, as I was saying, the practice at country level has um, improved dramatically. Now, um, there's still a long way to go because 86 countries out of the international community represent um, not even half of the total countries uh, around the world. So there's still a long way to go. But I think, as, as you were saying, there are countries and jurisdictions that jurisdictions where we've seen um, change happen, like the Portuguese experience, and those experiences offer a lot of lessons, including in terms of how we continue to perfect um, drug policies, because um, something that I think we should be very aware of is that there's no there's no point at which we can say, or at least not anywhere soon, where we can say this is done. Like this country has figured out um, its drug policy, and there's nothing to be improved. On the contrary, like if, even even when we look at the Portuguese model, there's aspects that can be improved. So um, what I find incredibly interesting and promising about the campaign is that you have literally thousands of people pushing towards that um, uh, goal of uh, building a society where we all fit, no one's left behind and we can all thrive. Um, and that that's a that's a marathon, not a sprint. And and it's been 10 years, but I'm looking forward to what we can accomplish in the next 10. Amazing. So cool. Uh, well, this is a, a, another question about kind of yeah, the, the last 10 years, uh, I feel like this is a fantastic opportunity to, to ask you about this. Um, for someone listening who has kind of had a kind of a, a, a zoomed out distant um, kind of the over overview of a drug policy, uh, drugs, um, and, and maybe uh, some of the conversations about uh, drug laws in the in the last 10 years in the major news outlets and media, um, they've certainly kind of taken, uh, they've certainly, you know, uh, registered the fact that uh, uh, cannabis is, uh, has been legalized and decriminalized in, in, in many countries, that medical cannabis is, uh, uh, has uh, kind of taken uh, 
what um, was taken up by governments uh, as a as a task to kind of pr- build a, a model a structure where uh, patients can can get access to this medicine. Um, then also psychedelics have seemed to be going through a full blown full speed uh, renaissance right now in terms of um, now already becoming mainstream that uh, that certain um, substances um, uh, can be used quite effectively in uh, uh, mental health uh, therapy. So what are the ways in which um, these developments have influenced or not have maybe uh, uh, even, um, uh, how can I say, um, pushed back uh, the developments uh, of, of creating, creating policies for everyone and creating policies that ultimately serve people um, who use drugs and also people who inject drugs. Um, yeah, that is, that is also a very good question. And I think I would give you um, an answer in two parts that might be, uh, might seem contradictory, but I'm hoping I will be able to bridge um, those uh, apparent tensions in, in my response. So uh-huh. the first thing that I would say is like that the war on drugs as an apparatus of violence and of neglect is incredibly pervasive. And, um, very often I feel like we've made the mistake of believing that these are solely, um, this is solely an apparatus, a legal apparatus, so an institutional legal apparatus, um, whereas in reality, this is also an ideational apparatus. Like the war on drugs doesn't only live in the law and in practices by the state, but also in the way we relate to each other and in, in the kinds of expressions that people use to refer to people who use drugs um, in systems of housing, in systems of uh, health. In, it's, it's so incredibly um, comprehensive. So it, it is, I think, something that we should be very attentive to is how do we undermine, and, and I guess that, that's, that creates space for optimism also because there are so many ways how we can undermine the war on drugs, not necessarily through um, legal change, although that is important. There are so many places to start. So um, even if it seems sort of um, catastrophically gigantic, at least like there's that that means that there are so many different places uh, to start, including uh, within ourselves. Um, So that's the first thing to say. And I'm I'm saying this because um, because we, I feel part of the discourse that leads to initiatives towards decriminalization or medicalization or regulation of specific substances very often is um, pervaded by this war on drugs mentality. Um, what does it say that you want access to, for example, uh, cannabis? if at the same time you continue to malign um, people who use opioids. Um, is that not another form of um, prohibition or the war on drugs? I, I believe so. Um, yeah, it's so prohibition tr- uh, reinvented for, for 2022. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Like the idea that like you would create, um, you would advocate for cannabis reforms, for example, by pitting it, pitting people who use cannabis against uh, people who uh, use opioids 
I, I, I would fully agree that this is just um, prohibition reinvented. And the reason why I said I would contradict myself in the second part of this response is because at the same time, we do have to acknowledge that um, the prohibition of cannabis accounts for a huge amount of the harms caused by the war on drugs. So like in countries like this one, like the one where I live, which is the UK, if I'm not wrong, cannabis offenses account for over 75% of stops and arrests and prosecutions. Um, and this is something that we see in different parts of the world, not only because cannabis is the most used drugs, but also because cannabis has been through, you know, um, white supremacy and prohibition conspiring has been associated with populations that are the subject are subjected to state violence and, and social control. Um, so I think um, not every reform that focuses solely on cannabis is necessarily one that um, uh, uh, perpetuates prohibition. So for example, if, um, if, Let's take, for example, the the what just happened in in Thailand with um, with cannabis. The, the whole cannabis plant has been removed from the narcotics list, which has de facto uh, legalized cannabis. Um, but the country says that uh, they will soon implement regulations that will sort of regulate the market. At the moment, is is a little bit nebulous. I think you, we can at the same time acknowledge that the fact that people will not continue to be criminalized in relation to cannabis is a positive for those who will benefit from um, that remote removal of cannabis from uh, the narcotics list. And at the same time, that doesn't detract from the fact that we must continue making sure that all people who use drugs um, are equally unpunished um, and, and not subject to state violence. Um, and at the same time, I, I think that is a reminder that like, like decriminalization of all drugs should be a, a baseline um, for any change that we want to see uh, in the world. And yet, when it comes to legal regulation, sometimes you need to leverage the windows of opportunity that open like 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 activists have done uh, in Thailand, but like activists also push for um, in Uruguay, because countries may not have, I mean, governments may not have the appetite to regulate other substances. Um, so I think even when it comes to um, opportunities that emerge in terms of regulating, for instance, cannabis, activists, and this is what IDPC is proposing as part of its principles for legal regulation, if a window of opportunity opens to legally regulate cannabis, that creates an opportunity to talk about the decriminalization of all drugs. Um, and you can, and, and that should be part of your advocacy. Um, now, I personally think that doesn't mean that cannabis regulation is something that will, that we have to resent. Um, uh, because of in, in my ideal world, we all have access to a safe supply. Uh, and that safe supply is not only for cannabis, that's also for opioids um, and any other substance uh, for all that matters. Um, and at the same time, we must grapple with the fact that the war on drugs is incredibly pervasive and it is politically incredibly risky for a government to move from 
a state of criminalization to a state where all drugs, um, there's a safe supply for all drugs. Um, so it, it, it is an incredibly tricky sort of situation to navigate because I think we can remain uncompromising uh, in, t- in terms of acknowledging that no person who uses drugs should be criminalized and at the same time advocate for where opportunities arise, advocate for a uh, regulated uh, market of, for example, uh, cannabis. I, and I don't think that's necessarily a contradiction. Yeah, because, I mean, th- would you say that uh, a regulated uh, market of cannabis is, in a sense, going towards safe supply? Of 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 cannabis, but like I, I guess like the 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 question I've usually uh, heard of the term safe supply used in relation to opioids and in relation to the drug death yeah. catastrophe in North America. Um, but I think for me, it is a very rich concept because it alludes to the possibility of every person who uses drugs to be able to source those those drugs in a situation of safety. So for me, like there are connections there with harm reduction, there are connections there to uh, ensuring that everyone has their needs met. Um, And in that sense, it's a concept that I'm, I think has a lot of potential to make us reflect on what our communities really need uh, in relation to accessing the drugs of their choice. Um, And I want to believe that like, you know, in places where cannabis has been regulated, that the fact that regulation comes with a whole host of advantages, um, if we think of, for example, uh, the situation in Canada and um, and Uruguay, like the amount of people that now uh, do not rely on an unaccountable uh, supply of drugs through informal means, um, and rather cultivate through cooperatives or access um, cannabis through licenses, uh, through licensed premises, in particular pharmacies in, when it comes to Uruguay. I feel like that might create conditions that make people understand, oh, these substances that for the longest time we have maligned and considered sort of inherently evil, we can actually create systems of access that are um, less damaging. And to that extent, I think cannabis regulation could uh, open doors. What I think we should be very careful of is when the um, initiatives to regulate cannabis are premised on cannabis being an exceptional substance that um, that that should that behaves or exists that that is that is inverted commas better than others. Um, Cause then you start creating a hierarchy of um, people who use drugs. Like where some, what we were saying, like prohibition 2.0 or prohibition reinvented and navigating these tensions, like making cases for regulation without throwing um, communities, other communities of people who use drugs under the bus is, is a, is a tricky um, and, and complicated uh, challenge but I think I, th- I think it's not a an unsurmountable um, challenge you know we can acknowledge that 
the political conditions to regulate cannabis in some contexts are in place, whereas the political conditions to regulate, for instance, uh, heroin are not. Um, I think the best that we can do in those cases is uh, acknowledge the situation and continue advocating for the best kind of regulation that we can get, whilst at the same time illuminating that prohibition is harmful in and of itself and that no one should be criminalized and use that opportunity to uh, ensure that the benefits of policy reform do not only benefit certain um, people who use drugs over others. Um, so I, yeah, basically to sum it up, I think we can advocate for cannabis reforms without adopting this um, drug exceptionalism or prohibition reinvented um, viewpoint. Yeah, and it's just the beginning to regulating all drugs. <laughs> yeah, and and this is something that IDBC also um, uh, stressed in the introduction to this um, document that we created on principles for the legal responsible legal regulation of cannabis. We said because of the amount of evidence and clarity that we have on the legal regulation of cannabis already, we can already posit all these principles. But we think legal regulation is not just for cannabis. Um, and, and actually, we're already thinking, how would we replicate those principles for other substances? Uh, would they stay the same? Are there any things that would need tweaking? And as part of those principles, we included decriminalization because um, there's something else to, um, to say. And that's really interesting to some, might be really interesting to some of the people listening to us. Um, whilst um, Canada has legally regulated cannabis uh, at a federal, federal level, um, sourcing, I mean, sourcing cannabis through informal means remains criminalized. Uh, and that is not what we want to see. Like, we don't want to see a system that perpetuates criminalization just for the hell of it. Um, you know, if, if people continue to source their cannabis through informal means, then we have to wonder why that's the case. And how do we make sure that formal means are accessible to all rather than saying we'll continue to criminalize those who sort it through informal means? Like we don't want legal regulation that increases criminalization or perpetuates criminalization. That That is counterproductive. Wow, incredible. This is such a fascinating and interesting conversation. I'm so glad I asked you this question. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and at the same time, I have to say, Sarah, like the Support on Punish campaign is um such a global effort like and you know there's been activities in over 110 countries there's been almost 1800 activities in more than 110 countries so it's incredibly uh global and not everyone is ready not, not all of our local partners are ready to talk about legal regulation um and we understand that so um i i just want to add that there because um while we respect and acknowledge that some of our local partners are ready to have that conversation and that is very important in their context, we also understand that in some places, you know, you still like people who use drugs don't even don't even have access to um, hygienic uh, syringes. And so I think it's something to take into account that like there is no um, shared position yet uh, among support punish campaigners when it comes to legal regulation in the same way that there's a shared understanding on decrim and harm reduction 
but more and more are um, now integrating legal regulation into their advocacy. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah, like, like for example, you were thinking of a place like Russia, where, um, if I'm not mistaken, Russia has criminalized the harm reduction service of, uh, like, uh, giving out uh, clean syringes, which effectively means that if you are injecting drugs in Russia, you are, like, super likely to to get infected by like through through um uh like needle uh exchange yeah like there, it is a for me it ex, like the situation in russia exemplifies so many of the wrongs that uh the war on drugs has uh sort of uh, created for a community. So many of the harms that the war on drugs has um, created for our communities because there's a, crimin- a, a wide um, range in criminalization of behaviors associated with drug use, but also uh, supporting people who use drugs, as you say, like uh, the provision of, for example, um, methadone, which is such a standard uh, medication, like widely uh, understood, like a part of, um, the harm reduction response in 86 uh, different countries, at least, um, there you would be considered a trafficker if you offered um, people uh, methadone. And in fact, like we have colleagues who have been imprisoned in the territories, invaded territories um, of the Donbass region in Ukraine because they were just carrying their medication. They were Ukrainian citizens carrying their medication, methadone with them, people who use drugs. And um, the um, de facto authorities of um, the Donetsk Republic um, found um, that this colleague was carrying uh, methadone with him and put him in prison for two years in a basement with no access to um, their opioid agonist therapy in a situation of squalor and, and luckily he was released, but there's many who haven't been released um, because um the Russian state, uh, or, or rather the government of the Russian state, believes that, um, doesn't believe in harm reduction, believes that harm reduction is, um, is basically uh, same, the same as peddling or, or promoting uh, drug use uh, willy-nilly. Of course, if you ask me, I think this is a, a political stance, an ideological stance that's purely instrumental um, and, and deliberately uh, utilized to build clout and and to serve like uh, an ideological war with uh, what they perceive to be their political opponents in the international stage. Um, but it's it's a it's a dramatic situation. Like it's one of the it's the biggest concentrated um, HIV epidemic among people who inject drugs in the world. If I'm not wrong, so yeah, the situation is dire. And that's precisely, and at the same time, there are support to punish containers in Russia. Um, yeah. You know, like in, in St. Petersburg, in Moscow, in Kaliningrad, uh, our colleagues are mobilizing against this uh, really huge apparatus of violence because they believe, like us, that people who use drugs are are humans and, and we deserve uh, all the compassion and respect that anyone else in the society deserves. 
Awesome. Cool. And uh, Juan, do you want to tell us a, a bit about how uh, this year's Support Don't Punish Day of Action went? Yeah, so it was um, it was another great year for the campaign. Um, I don't know if I said it before, but the campaign, it, the Global Day of Action in 2013 started with activities in 44 cities of 21 countries. And this year we had um, activities in 281 cities uh, of 91 countries. Um, so in terms of cities, that's a record. Um, not that, you know, it's it's not all about numbers, but of course that gives one a sense of, um, uh, what's the word, affirmation and, and energy uh, to know that, you know, the campaign is still um, not only sustained but growing um so that was that was fantastic and, and i think it speaks to the appetite of uh of people in any context that you can imagine um to create communities again where people who use drugs are not left behind and not um the subject of multiple forms of violence um and and i think that that increase in number perhaps hides um, something that for me at least is more meaningful, which is the campaign has not grown only in terms of numbers, but I think also in a sense of, I don't know if saying sense of solidarity or sophistication of our message or sophistication in understanding what the war on drugs is, because even though originally the campaign was focusing on people who inject drugs, I think campaigners today, by and large, understand that those systems that we, those systems of violence and neglect that we had identified in 2013 as being an obstacle to the health of people who inject drugs, those are the very same systems of state violence and neglect that affect everyone that is subjected to the violence of the war on drugs. So like um, we have people, we have local partners whose focus is on people who are street-based and homeless and who suffer like economic deprivation. Um, and and that has, um, that interacts with the war on drugs in very specific and very damaging ways. We have um, uh, local partners who focus on um uh people who organize with um communities of people who are, are sex workers and also experience a war on drugs in in their um specific and differentiated ways so i think it, and and also you know people who grow crops seem illicit people who um as i said people who use drugs even not through injection so i think these past 10 years have also seeing the campaign not only increase in numbers, but also I think in, in this sense of solidarity, this, this uh, idea that we will not undermine these very pervasive system, systems of violence and neglect if we don't build a common and broad front um, against uh, these very structures. And that requires coalition building. Um, and, you know, I talked about like how the war on drugs affects different populations and how activities are carried out by population, these um, other populations that before perhaps weren't uh, considered as much. But it's not only a question of, um, of new or, or populations that didn't used to mobilize with us or we didn't used to mobilize with those populations, but also about 
government officials like buying into the messages of the campaign we have like local authorities in argentina in colombia um uh where else have we seen this um i'm trying to think if there are examples elsewhere i think in some parts of the world it remains a little bit more challenging but when when you have local governments or local governments officials saying support on punish and sort of fully integrating the message of the campaign into their, their own narratives like on the 26th of june we had a declaration by un human rights experts that ends with we need to move towards um policies that support and not punish people so the proposal by the uh, conservative government of of all uh, sides of norway uh towards decriminalization which in the end was torpedoed and and didn't come to be was called from from punishment to support so in general it's a narrative that i think it's it's really exciting to see also government officials adopt that narrative because that at the beginning that was one of the goals of the campaign to shift the the narrative um on drug policies and and we're making it happen and um and we see that emerge in more and more contexts um so that is also something really interesting like an expansion in terms of solidarity between communities but also a growing acknowledgement from government officials that we need to move towards policies that support and not punish people Yeah. Mara, I was going <laughs> to, I was looking at you, I was like, oh, is he going to ask a question? <laughs> okay, I, I I really want to commend uh, Juan for coming up and um, I've really um, learned a lot about the successes of um, support and punish over the years. And I would really like to commend him and the team for all they've done. And hopefully we have more partnerships um, with um, IDPC and support and punish in the coming years and um, probably the next um, project you're trying to um, hold, we'll probably like to contribute our quota to this. Yeah, so I'll leave it to Sarah to continue. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just very briefly going to say, you know, the the role of youth-led organizations in advancing the campaign is, you know, I was talking to all these different communities that experience the war on drugs in uh, specific and differentiated ways. Young people are one of these. And, and it's really exciting to see, you know, um, youth organizations not only involved in drug policy reform, like, uh, uh, like SSCP, of course, but like Youth Rise, like uh, like the Paradigma Coalition organizing this cross-regional uh, conference a while ago. Um, there, there are literally so many that it would be um, impossible to name them all. But also this year, for example, there was a youth-led, um, an organization that is youth-led, and it's of young people living with HIV organizing as part of the Support and Punish campaign because they realize um, that the impact of the war on drugs on young people is, uh, and in particular on young people living with HIV, is um, incredibly uh, intense and harmful. So, um, yeah, like the the role of young people in growing and expanding and carrying forward this campaign is is impossible to to deny and so so important. Well, uh, what are some of the success stories? Uh you've seen uh, as, a, as a facilitator of the uh, local actions around, across the world? 
I think they look like, for instance, um, what I was mentioning before, where you have like the um, in the government of the city of Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia. Um, um, there's a department specifically, like specifically focused on the needs of young people, and they launched themselves a uh, support on punish theme campaign uh, last year. Um, it was accompanied by this like really cool hip hop that they uh, uh, produce like in collaboration with their young the young people that um, they serve. So the idea that you have now government officials adopting the campaign and taking it forward is is incredibly encouraging. I was talking about, of course, um, the question of solidarity and and coalition building that for me is another huge success of the campaign um our colleagues in argentina for example at intercambios they have created a network of over 110 organizations all over the country some work on hiv some work on youth some work on street-based uh communities some are service providers of um health services and they have managed to unite them all in this sort of unified call for decrim and harm reduction, which I think is fantastic. Um, also, you know, if I have to think of like the process of depenalization in Ghana, for example, the fact that SSDP Ghana was so involved uh, in that process, like compiling uh, case studies, like speaking at events, and that definitely contributed to the country's, uh, the government's uh, decision to depenalize um, people who use drugs that is also incredibly uh encouraging um the reach of the campaign is another um big uh success uh of the campaign the range of activities because i think perhaps at the beginning there was a little bit more focus i mean that's a little bit unfair i was gonna say there was a little bit more focus on just like focusing on like meeting uh, decision makers which i think remains important but i think something that I find really exciting is that people are using the campaign also as a space to develop capacity within communities. Like, for example, our colleagues in Berlin, which is um, uh, people who use drugs in Berlin, um, have organized um, uh, video diary uh, workshops with people who use drugs so that like they can compile evidence through uh, video. There are just so many examples of people using the campaign in innovative, impactful ways so that plus growing solidarity plus growing numbers plus growing uptake by governments are yeah some of the of the campaign successes uh, that we can continue to build upon amazing thank you so much Juan uh, so uh, do you have a message for um, to to wrap up uh, this conversation for us yeah perhaps a couple so at the moment, we're um, starting launching the process of feedback and reflection that we launch every year. Um, something that is becoming harder to, but I guess it's a good problem to have, is becoming harder to achieve is to compile all these experiences. Like every year we produce, for the last two years, we have produced a report. Um, so we just today, literally a few hours ago, launched um, this process of feedback and reflection. Uh, if you go to supportandpunish.org slash join, that you can find the, um, the feedback form, but we've also emailed it to all local partners. And I really, really encourage everyone to fill it because it's very short, but it allows us to know 
what worked well, what can we do to continue improving, any suggestions to um, uh, improve for next year. So the feedback process is really helpful. Also to share that information with others through the report, through the website, and most importantly, or perhaps most importantly for us, um, to some extent with funders, because ultimately the campaign um, we're able to service this campaign also because funders have grown to trust it and know and see what we're able to do with it and continuing to make the case for the campaign is something that of course we will ever we will always um, be committed to and and it's impossible without that feedback so this feedback is really precious and it shouldn't take like more than 15 minutes um and and so that's for the feedback process but and the other thing that i was going to say is um to close is yeah continue to engage with the campaign um the the global day of action is of course uh, uh the big high point of the campaign but the campaign lives on outside of the global day of action feel free to use the campaign in your own advocacy our message connects that message connects you with literally hundreds thousands of people um around the world so use it as leverage when you're um doing advocacy with governments to show this is not you in your own locality alone advocating for um, for these uh, changes. This is a global movement, um, a global movement that is also substantiated by a normative basis from the UN uh, institutions. Um, inform yourselves about how to, um, uh, to make the case for decrim and harm reduction and continue experimenting uh, and, and building uh, solidarity with movements that you perhaps historically have not mobilized with. Try to think who could be part of this big alliance against the war on drugs. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye.